An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Did, did you find out his name? Yes. What he, was his name? Uh, he identified himself uh, by, with the driver's license as Alexander Crunky. Oh. Alexander Crunky. Ivan, and I can see that there was a, a large, uh, probably like a three-foot curl bar, like a wrecking bar. Um, and a, like a large gray plastic tarp, um, paper towel type thing, hand sanitizer things, um, and then a, well, there was a box of uh, condoms on the floor. Was the next part of the conversation? Um, well, the next part of the conversation went with. Uh, I guess I asked him what was what was going on and what they'd be digging for um, up there, and. And then he never, never replied. He just kind of hung his head, and, and then I just, I don't know where it came out of, but I just kind of put together that uh, I commented that the uh, Tennyson girl was just recently buried up there earlier in the week, and, and I asked if that would have had anything to do with it. He stated that it, that it would have. Would you give us your name, please? James Cobb. What happened when you got to the cemetery? When we drove in, the other two cars went to the left, I went to the right, and I came across an open grave. Did you look at it? Yes. What did you see? Uh, there was a hole uh, three and a half feet wide by three feet long, and a foot eight inches deep, which uncovered the top of the top half of the vault. So in reference to the condoms, um, Mr. Radke stated Nick wanted them, but he didn't want to go in and buy them. And you said, okay, so when he had sex with the corpse, he'd have a condom on. Do you recall those words? Yes. So you're going to take her out of the casket? Yes. Okay. Were you going to put her in anything? Maybe the tarp, so we could lift her. Did he know Laura? Answer by Dustin Radke, no. He just saw her obituary in the paper. Answered by Dustin Radke. He was going to take it to his house in Ridgeway and then take it into the woods somewhere by his house. Question, okay, did he have a place picked out? Yeah. He had a place picked out. It was by some old abandoned junkyard. Next page, 360. Question by Jim Cobb. He just read her obit and you said he had been like this for a while? been having problems or fantasies. Yeah, he's been that way since as long as I can remember. He used to go to Madison every Friday as he had counseling for problems since fifth grade all the way up. Kicked out of school a bunch of times for threatening to blow up the school and kill teachers. It's been like that for a while. What up, what up, what up, everybody? We're back. Super special episode today. It's actually going to be a little bit different. We're covering a few cases in one. Uh, reason being is we have a specialist on our show today in some of these um, fields, and so we just wanted to kind of mix a lot of cases together because a lot of them don't have many details and spin it all up for you and discuss them each as we go. So that's super exciting. If you haven't already, please go rate, rate, Review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your fam. Let us know what you're thinking and feeling. Let us know what cases you want to hear about. Um, come join our conversation on Facebook. 
We have a Patreon going. All of the support is so, so, so humbling. We have a lot of new Patreon supporters on there, um, which I will be shouting out in the coming days on this show. So I guess it would be in the coming weeks. So keep a lookout for that. We really, really appreciate all of your guys' support. I'm your host, Lisa, and I'm here with Matt, and we are going to get started here. Okay, everyone, we're super, super excited. Um, We have a really great special guest on the show today, a specialist in all things that we talk about, which makes it even more exciting because Matt and I, although Matt does have a degree, I don't have any kind of degree, so I kind (laughs) of talk just from researching myself. But today's special guest is Lee Meller. Not only is Lee a scholar and an alternative country musician, so he's like everything, he's also an author. Now, his first book, Cold North Killers, Canadian Serial Murder, was released on March 3rd, 2012 by Dundurn Press. The true crime work documents and analyzes the phenomenon of serial homicide in Canada, providing over 60 cases as examples. So clearly he's a true crime junkie just like we are. He's researched 75 serial homicides, but did not include them all because of limited space in the book. Now, a second volume was released on Canadian multicide called Rampage Canadian Mass Murder and Spree Killing, which was released on March 9th, 2013. These are both books you need to check out. It's super interesting, and he has such good insight. In academia, uh, Miller co-edited the textbook Homicide, a forensic psychology casebook with John Swart, which he also penned the introduction along with chapters on homicidal paraphilia, necrophilia, sexual sadism, and psychopathy. He's also the primary editor of Understanding Necrophilia and Necrophilia Spectrum Behavior and the Thematic Derivative Model of Sexual Progression. He offers a model in which charts both normophilic and paraphilic sexual interests, using the case of Armin Mewis, which we're going to cover as an example. Hopefully we can get him back on the show for that. That would be super exciting. Now, he's also the host of the true crime podcast, Murder Was the Case, which is how we got in contact with him. So you must check out that show. It's amazing. He gives such great insight, like I've said over and over again, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. So he'll be calling in here in a minute. And so we're going to get started soon. So I never looked into, like, necrophilia as a whole I've like obviously covered or thought about cases that have covered it um but I've never really looked into the laws and I never realized that every single state has different statutes for what's considered um necrophilia what what necrophilia in general is considered um whether it's you know murder which it really never seems to be um, or what degrees it is and it's pretty interesting that that's not you know across the board (laughs) something that yeah yeah. Well, I think it's because it was something that was kind of consi- considered unfathomable, you know, or out- outside the realm of polite discourse. Right. Yeah. Until um, the 19th century, at least, when uh, Sergeant Bertrand kind of forced it into the spotlight. Yeah. And then it, with, like, the sort of emergence of these necrophilic lust murderers, like Ed Gein and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, and uh, there's more of them that are necrophilic actually than people are led to believe mm-hmm. that, you know, we were kind of forced to confront it like, okay, people do this. And, you know, there's, they didn't have any laws on the books really to cover it. Now Lee, that brings a question in my mind. If you wouldn't mind explaining to us a little bit, I know there is a distinction between different types of necrophiles, people who kill for the pleasure of actual necrophilic acts, people who, 
yeah, somehow ingratiate themselves into possibly those industries, uh, working in Morgues. a mortuary or working in a graveyard yeah. or also just the overt, not actually the overt act of going forward, but just thinking <laughs> about it and, and having the pervasive thoughts of having sex with a dead body. So where, where does that line draw there and how, uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us some some insight as to how much of the, it, I don't want to say percentages, but how much of the necrophile community fits into those different categories, if you wouldn't mind explaining a bit. So it sounds to me like the uh, categorization system that you're referring to is by Agraal, uh, who's a colleague of mine, and uh, we wrote a textbook together, wrote and edited it. Exactly. Um, and his system really, like, it in that textbook he specifically applies it to necrophilia but i think you can generalize it to all paraphilia and in my opinion i think that some of the categories are good but it's actually better just to look at um i, I think sometimes it's a little bit too uh specific so black just because and white, somebody com commits homicide and does post-mortem sex acts uh, it doesn't mean that they're any more or less a necrophile than someone who doesn't commit homicide and, and do it, right? Yeah. So right. I, think some of, I, think, I think some of those categories are good, but for the most part, I would kind of like to give you sort of a general overview of paraphilia, and then you'll just see how it all follows. And I think a good one to kind of compare it to is perhaps pedophilia. If, so if, if I could start there, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Take it away. Uh, we were, ironically enough, we were just watching Paterno on HBO here. We're referring to the J Jerry Sandusky case about, obviously, pervasive pedophilia, pedophilia in, uh, in that system. So, yep. yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, yeah, it'd be a great Take it away. Yeah, yeah. We wanna, we'd love to hear about it. Well, that's kind of gross to say love, but you know what I mean. I'm interested. Well, you'd be interested you, to hear it. And I, I think most people are, right? Uh, and... There's, uh, there's no shame in admitting that uh, this stuff is fascinating because it's just often so out of bounds of what, you know, quote-unquote normal people even conceive of, right? right? You know, right. like having sex with a child or a corpse. Like, if you didn't know that other people did it, you know, I don't even know that it would cross your mind. Right. Other you than maybe it. a joke or something, right? You know, it's just weird. Right. So, um, yeah, okay. So... If we think of all sorts of paraphilias, which are sort of unusual or abnormal sexual desires that sometimes manifest as acts, as uh, beginning in our fantasies, so we can really kind of compare them to our own sex lives. So if the listener's thinking of the way that they sexually develop, typically you find yourself attached to a certain type of person, you know, maybe not overly specific, but you have an ideal type and, and then it kind of broadens out and you have perhaps acts, sexual positions, things like that, that you tend to favor in your fantasies. And this is, this is accompanied by masturbation. And this is kind of like what hard codes your sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think of it that way, now, if you think of paraphilias as being kind of the same thing, but rather than say something like, uh, just from the point of view of a male perspective, thinking, oh, I'd like a, a busty blonde in lingerie 
uh, to have sex with them on top, right? <laughs> if you think of it from the perspective of somebody who's like a pedophile, well, you know, it might be like a child, right? And and, and a, an entirely different type of uh, fantasy, which I don't really want to get too far into, but the whole, I think the process is very much the same. You know, it's this, it begins in your mind, almost what I call is like a fantasy scape, like an elaborate daydream, kind of like a script that you run, right? And a company, uh, accompanied by this sort of orgasmic conditioning through masturbation, it, it builds your sexuality. So just the same way that normal sexuality can be built, so-called aberrant sexuality can be built too. And it's interesting how this can work, because I, I think that you could have somebody start off within their fantasies fantasizing about corpses and that could be for a number of reasons uh like perhaps they their first sexual feelings uh happen to coincide with when they're visiting a funeral home i've actually heard of people who they had a spontaneous orgasms upon seeing uh livestock being eviscerated for Ooh. instance so it's not something that they yeah isn't that weird Ooh, I, wow. I think ed Gein who is a necrophile, by the way, had a spontaneous orgasm upon seeing the evisceration of livestock. And I believe there might have been more than one case of that. So Can we just chalk up Ed Gein as having had literally, possibly, (laughs) every single psychological malfunction that could have happened to him? I mean, he was... I didn't even realize that, and the scope of that is... (laughs) I mean, even wider than I would have thought. And, and I, I've, I've referenced for people that aren't necessarily too familiar with Ed Gein. I've said, you know, look up his case if you ever want to find out how strange some people can get. I mean, and, and that to me is even in, even more impactful. That's just, you know. Do you think, because you said um, it, nor, it, like, it can stem from having your first sexual, like, you know, awakening or feeling while being like, you know, at a funeral or watching, you know, a slaughter or something. Um, do you think they yeah. go hand in hand at the time? Or do you think it, it's just like a random sexual urge that has nothing to do with the surroundings, but then becomes part of the surroundings because that's what they associate it with? I think it could be, I think it could be either or, uh-huh. you know, I, I don't know that there's uh, always the same answer to that question. I think it could be, you know, the person's already aroused just naturally as it could be at a stage in their life and it's happening without their will. They're just in an aroused state as Mm -hmm. a child because, you know, our sexuality doesn't start developing really when we're, when we hit puberty, it it begins a lot earlier. And I mean, it's a very complicated conversation, but uh, for instance, I've, I've heard of cases of people developing foot fetishes. Perhaps you guys did this too. Uh, ad- adults were having dinner or something at a table and you're a little kid and you go under the table and hmm. you know just uh, hide or goof around or whatever and you can see all the adults feet now I definitely did that on at least one occasion or <laughs> yeah. more and didn't develop a foot fetish I was just like I'm hiding this is kind of neat you know I can hear them they can't see me but for some people that can be accompanied with like a sexual arousal and so the sexual arousal might already be there and then all of a sudden they see you know a nice uh perfect foot perhaps it's in pantyhose or something like that (laughs) right Uh, or a particular type of shoe and that's why you know you see people with foot fetishes and and shoe fetishes 
um, potophilia and retipism often in conjunction because those two things kind of go together. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing could be too that the child um, sees uh, sees the shoe or the corpse or whatever object or act and or act we're talking about here, and they're not immediately uh, they're not in a state of arousal already, but later they're thinking about it. And they combine this into sort of like a masturbatory fantasy, and then it later becomes a part of their sexuality. Wow. So I think there's two two ways that that can happen. But the key part is to understand it as something that happens in your head first as a fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when a growl breaks it into categories, like I believe he he says – um, the first category are uh, necrophilic role players, so people who role play um, necrophilia. So someone pretends to be a corpse. Yeah. And then he he has fantasizers after that. That's where I would really disagree with him because you have to have the fantasy first mm. before you get to the role playing. You get where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yes. Because you wouldn't. You would like say, let's take a lesser role play situation. So like teacher student. Um, you would have to have had a fantasy about your teacher or a teacher-student situation to jump on into that kind of fantasy or role-play situation. So that makes sense. Yeah, you've completely got it. So, uh, you know, I think he was a real pioneer with that system, and I think that uh, it was a great first step. But since then, I've kind of thought about it a different way, and I've, I've got my own system, which is a little bit more fluid that I used to think about it. So... Uh, without me describing that, I mean, that's that's something that I'll probably do on my own show at mm. some point. And maybe I'll coincide it so both of our shows line up and I can talk about homicidal necrophiles so people can go there for more. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, the way to see it is it starts in fantasy. And then, of course, like most sexual fantasies, um, they don't stay static. They develop, right? There's a core to it, but they go to different places. And oftentimes they might... Uh, escalate or get weirder in nature or and change and so i would see all kind of paraphilia but specifically necrophilia because we're discussing it here Mm -hmm. as absolutely no different than that now the reason that i made a big point of saying that uh of kind of emphasizing the ways that um things can change within fantasies and the ways that attachment to objects may come uh first from being in an aroused state and, and then encountering the object or encountering the object and later becoming aroused by it is because there are a lot of necrophiles. They start up where they seem to be just kind of straight up uh, sexually normal people. And I kind of put the normal in uh, quotation marks there. But then for whatever reason, they become terrified of other people criticizing their sexual performance or they're completely incompetent with courtship or all types of things like that or they want to do weird acts and they know that other people are going to uh, look down upon them if they Mm -hmm. want to do these acts with them so they Mm -hmm. say ah okay you know but if they were dead i could do that and that a dead person can't say no a dead person can't criticize a dead person uh won't uh, won't look at me weird if I request doing this specific thing. And so therefore, what was once a live person in their fantasy suddenly becomes a corpse. So there's like a pragmatic element to it, right? Wow. 
I didn't think about that. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, that's just what I'm saying is, like, if you think about, if you're very introspective about your own um, sexuality and then you read enough about other sexuality, you kind of see fantasy as, like, this laboratory where all kinds of permutations of, uh, of normal and varying degrees of abnormal sexuality can happen all the way up to necrophilia. Mm-hmm. Now, saying that, there's a group of people who may have sex with a dead body, but are not necessary, necessarily necrophiles. Uh, now, what, which sounds weird, so it is a bit of a paradox, but yeah. I'll compare it to, say, pedophiles and child molesters. So... A lot of child molesters are pedophiles, but there are also child molesters who are not pedophiles, and there are also pedophiles who are not child molesters. Yeah, that's a really good point. Right, and this is a big problem in the media. They often use the term pedophile and child molester interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about a pedophile, everyone gets outraged about them hurting kids and stuff, and you seem like you're defending child molestation by trying to you know, say, no, there's not necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. But a, pedo- a pedophile can also just stay at this fantasy stage, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's something we touched on, a, a, like, a really tiny bit in our Centoya Brown episode, just because um, we talked to a person who was a survivor of sex trafficking. Um, and we were talking, I don't know how it got brought up, really, I don't really remember. Um, but we were talking about pedophilia and the fact that... Um, you know, there's such a stigma around it, and it's it is one of those things where it's like not every pedophile is a child molester or like a, a child rapist. Um, yeah. There, it, it, it does for some people stay in that fantasy world and not go past it, or they don't act on those urges. But yet, they're unfairly put in this box of they're going to abuse my child. So there's that stigma because it, it's kind of like how do these people ever get help? Because how many people can reach out and be like? oh, I'm a necrophile, but I haven't, like, offended anybody. I just think about this stuff. Like, what? how How do these people go about keeping it in a fantasy world without, you know, you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it, it's yeah. really important that you point it out. That and then as a follow-up to that, where does the legality of all that come in? Yeah. How do you assess what's what should be legal, what should be prosecuting, and what you shouldn't be prosecuting, what you should what, like, chalk up to? What goes too far, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I think we can probably all agree that it shouldn't be illegal to have thoughts, mm. right? Absolutely, right. Yeah, you can't. You govern, can't control you that. Can't govern thought exactly. No, and even if you could control it, would it be necessarily a desirable thing? So, for instance, let's take an extreme example, like a North Korean type state, where perhaps people get to a point where they do actually start to control their thoughts like kind of wrong think right mm-hmm. right That's i was just gonna say good. 1984 yeah where word word speak yeah. you know whatever is told to you by the government is what's true and you watch it every day and you see what's real and that's what's real yes so i think that we absolutely can never outlaw thoughts and and then when someone expresses perhaps that they had a thought maybe we need to be very tolerant of that too. And so you brought up like, where do you go to for help if you're a necrophile? Um, well, I mean, this came up with Jeffrey Dahmer. I, I, I mean, first of all, he was gay. And at that time that was, you know, much more stigmatized than it is now. Mm-hmm. Right. Even so, 
it was bad enough that he was gay. But even so, imagine being gay, but also like trying to explain to someone that not only am I gay, I also want to cut open a man's torso and put my penis inside his warm entrails. Right. And I think it was even overshadowed by the fact in some degree that he was a cannibal. I mean, that was something that people really talked about. I know at least in the media and just about every case report I've read of Jeffrey Dahmer, they do mention necrophilia as being one of the things that he actively did, but they really, I mean, focus so much on cannibalism. And like you said, the fact that it was gay men that he targeted and that he was gay. And also, I I mean, a great deal about the lobotomizations and some of the things that he did, but. Yeah, I think the lobotomizations, because it was so unusual, no one had done that before. Mm -hmm. And cannibalism, for some reason, is often considered to be like the most absolute depraved thing that you can do. Right. It's kind of ironic. You know, I I just think at that point we're just getting into silly, subjective, tabloid area. That's exactly Uh, what I was thinking as well. Just just a fun fact, there still seems to be some association between necrophilia and and cannibalism. So I did a study of about, at least in homicidal offenders, I did a study of about 100 homicidal offenders, and roughly 25% of them seem to have uh, uh, some sort of cannibalistic, uh, like, at least tried it once kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I feel like at that point, though, like, if you're already making the move to act on your fantasy with a dead a dead body, <clears throat> um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, like, you're already there. Why not give it all, like, a little swing? You know what I mean? Like, if you're already, like, trying... Uh, like dip in your toe and why not jump in the water and see what you know go for it i'm sure there was some experimenting going on but yeah it's 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 just so interesting that you brought up that the laws um because it, it wasn't something people ever thought of that would ever need to be a law because it's like how can you because it's like rule 23 or whatever it's whatever it is um that we've talked about before where if you can think of it, there's a porn for it. Right. So that means there's a fantasy for almost everything you can think of. There's someone out there that is aroused by the most obscure things. You can sexualize anything these days, it seems like. You know? <laughs> really, yeah, anything. Um, so it is really and interesting. People literally do. You know? Yeah, very and true. You, you can't stop your thoughts. Like if I say right now, Blue Elephant having sex with Elmer Fudd, you just thought of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because in order to linguistically process it, you have to summon up the image in your mind. Exactly. You know? so what an image. Not to get too academic here, but it's like language is a sign that represents something um, just intrinsically. That's the function of language. So it calls forth an image, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When I was curiously, before we get into some of these cases, um, what got you interested in true crime? Because you have, you've co-wrote a bunch of books, you've done a lot of academia for it, um, you have your own true crime podcast as well, which I really enjoy, 
uh, which everybody needs to go check out. Um, Murder was the case. If if you guys haven't heard of it, go check it out. Um, But really, I mean, I know for me, I mean, I I really can't pinpoint one thing that got me into it um, or not. You know what I mean? Interested in it. I think I've always been fascinated with the unknown and fascinated with things that I can't conceive of of my own thoughts. Like anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's scary, but it's interesting to know that these are real things that happen in the same world that I, you know, live in. Um, so what got you interested in true crime? You know, I don't want to deflect the question, but it's very similar to your answer. Uh-huh. You know, it's just, it was not one thing. It was just conglomeration, a natural inclination. And, you know, I could kind of put together a story for you. And I guess I have done that, in, you know, in the past somewhat. But I always feel that it's a little bit artificial that I'm taking events and sort of linking them together in order to answer the question. Yeah. But really, I think it's almost like, yeah, I, I don't actually understand why people aren't interested in dark and mysterious things, like even beyond true crime. Um, back when I was younger, I was interested in things like ghosts and aliens and, yes, right. you know, conspiracy theories. And uh, just the older I got, I just got a bit more scientifically minded. So I tended to focus on the stuff that I, I knew was real, right? So that it was worth spending time on. Right. But um, but anything dark and mysterious and odd, I just naturally, I found more interesting. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I wonder, are, are you guys night people or day people? <laughs> I'm a night person, night people. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> R- really, whenever I can I grab think... some sleep type of people. Okay? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if there's kinds of, of night people and day people and that night people have kind of different interests and different... Are you a night person? I don't know. Pardon me? Are you a night person? Yeah, for sure. I hate, <laughs> um, I hate sunrise. I'm like a vampire. People make fun of me because of it. Yeah. I, uh, I love the night. I love how everything goes dark and quiet and yeah. it seems to... I feel my energy levels come up and my thoughts get clearer. clearer. It's really odd. Absolutely. And one way to think of it is, well, I'm a weirdo. Another way to think of it is, well, maybe there's an evolutionary reason, right? Right. Something maybe about the night triggers to, something in you. Yeah, okay. there had to be, uh, a, you know, perhaps uh, a certain number of night people that were useful in the society because someone needed to keep watch or maybe certain types of people uh, survived because they were able to function at night and that lends itself to different psychological characters. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey. yeah. Any, any theory you have, we'd love to hear it. We'll, we'll, Absolutely. <laughs> we'll talk about it, man. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back in a little bit. So as I was saying to you, you can be a pedophile without being a child molester, right? Right. You can also be a child molester without being a pedophile. So in other words, it's like, you know, you'd really rather be having sex with an adult. And you probably, you know, you may not have had any fantasies that of molesting a child at all, at least not ones that you've, you know, masturbated to. You're at like a low point in your life or you want to get revenge on someone or a whole myriad of factors, you know, there's, there's something mentally wrong with you mm-hmm. and you start to uh, molest a child, even though that's not what you, the person you 
prefer to be sexually interacting with. Right? Yeah. So um, if you look at it in that way, I'd say that you could de- that you could divide it into uh, necrophiles who may also just be necrophilic in fantasies in fantasy, and for really a lack of a better word, like corpse molesters. Yeah. And they've been called pseudo necrophiles. I've used the term dabblers. Um, but just to make it an easy distinction, like yeah. you can have a corpse molesters. So one example I'll give you is of a serial killer is the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. Yes. Who, you know, he was he was a sexual sadist, which is someone who basically uh, gets pleasure from observing other people in pain, humiliation, and fear. And that was that was pretty consistent across Ramirez's crimes, and uh, along with a whole bunch of other things like that. You know, but on I think one occasion he had sex with a dead body. Mm-hmm. Just the one occasion, and given the fact that he committed something like thirteen or fourteen murders, and then there was a whole bunch of other ones that were, um, I guess this wouldn't apply to necrophilia. So let's keep it to the thirteen or fourteen murders. Mm-hmm. The fact that he only did it to one victim. When if it was his driving impulse, you'd think he would have done it to all of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I would give Ramirez as an example of a dabbler or corpse molester or pseudo necrophile, whatever jargon you want to use. Yeah. Whereas you have somebody, you have somebody like uh, Dahmer, and every victim there was some form of necrophilic act mm-hmm. performed on that victim, whether it was intercourse or fondling or even mutilating a corpse uh frequently that is accompanied by masturbation mm-hmm. uh, i mean i'll i won't go too far down the trail here but um everything Dahmer did had a post-mortem sexual element to it yeah right so i think it's crucial to make that distinction there and i don't know that we need to go any deeper with it if we're about to start discussing laws yeah absolutely um real quick as well when i was researching this um dabbling into <laughs> dabbling into it as you would say um no i'm not a dabbler that was horrible because you just <laughs> i don't dabble in any of this Whoa. um but when i was researching it it seems like i mean obviously the stats are a bit skewed because you know those who are not offending necrophiles most often don't really come forward i mean if they do it's in you know private chat rooms with other like-minded individuals um but it does seem like the uh percentage of offending homicidal necrophiles is a lot lower than it is just ones who like you said either just fantasize about it or are corpse molesters where they're the, the person is already dead and maybe they have a job that puts them close proximity wise to these bodies and that's when they offend um, did you see that in your studies as well, that the homicide rate, like someone killing someone and then, um, you know, sexually gratifying themselves or, you know, the body or whatever the case may be, did you find that those are a lot less or do you think, you know, it is just too skewed to really say? It's too skewed because the homicide makes it overt, right? Yeah. So you see yeah. a sexual homicide, um, if you have a good investigator or psychologist, take a look at that case, they immediately go sexual homicide. Okay, let's look for something necrophilic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've worked on some cold case sexual homicides and I have like a checklist of things I scan for, right? Um, so definitely that reveals it. But you can, I think that 
other cases of necrophilia, they tend to happen in certain institutional or, or um, business settings. So primarily they would happen in, say, uh, funeral homes or in hospital morgues or in graveyards or anywhere where uh, the dead are kind of kept for mm-hmm. periods, like stored, right? And easily accessible. And easily accessible right and so the thing is they're they're going to happen in those settings and because the body is almost all um almost always kept out of public view during that time they're always kept secluded and in privacy so just the idea that we need to hide the dead that we have to remove it from what uh, irving Goffman would call the front stage of the world to the backstage of the world mm. um the, the very need to do that uh, kind of creates a secret setting where people can do what they wish with corpses, and you know, unless they tell anyone about it or are car- or are caught cold-handed, let's say, um, <laughs> then it's uh, you know, it, it who knows? Who knows how prevalent it is? And you've got to wonder too. Like, I think I honestly think this could be. A bigger thing in human nature than than we might want to admit to. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there's that person. They're just working with corpses all the time, and like once in a while, just like maybe one time or two times in their whole career of doing this, they might just see like a newly dead corpse, and they might just see uh, a breast or something, and just go, "Well, no one's lucky. I just want to feel it." Mm-hmm. There's got to be a lot of people that do that. I believe it. I do. Um, I think you're right. I think it's it's part of the the part of the reason is you're right. It's so secluded that who's gonna know? You know what I mean? It, why not? You know? Well, I guess that's a weird way to phrase it. Why not? Because I don't think I would. But you know, I mean, it, it curiosity gets the best of people a lot of the time, and maybe um, these aren't people with necrophile or necrophilia, you know, tendencies. Uh, but you're right. I think a lot of it could come from curiosity. I think a lot of actual necrophilia does come just from pure curiosity as well as, you know, the other underlying factors as well. But that's a really interesting point um, regarding, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe it begins in a lot of cases with the curiosity too. Yeah. So they encounter the object and they just make, in that one moment, they make the decision like, mm, yeah, I am going to touch that. Mm-hmm. And then Do you they've think... already crossed the line, yeah. and they have two choices then. They can go, what the fuck is wrong with me? Sorry, can I swear on this podcast? Of course, of Fucking course. Right, dude. <laughs> I swear like a sailor. Yeah, so they, they can go one of two ways. They can touch it, and they can go, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then go, I need to never do that again, and get themselves under control and feel genuine shame and like what am I doing this is a path I don't want to go down or I think the other option is they go you know what like no one saw me I kind of liked it you know yeah what if I so what if I do it again I've already done it once I'll do it twice and then it becomes like the justifying thing and the next thing you know you start gradually creeping towards um necrophilic Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen with someone with say bones or someone with a body
body that's mummified or, mm-hmm. in, or in an advanced state of decay. I think that's something you have to form fairly early on mm-hmm. in your, your sexuality. But these, what I call uh, warm cases of necrophilia, I think could actually evolve out of curiosity, as you said. Yeah. Well, and, and getting into the laws, because I think that would be important to touch on before we get into the cases, just to kind of overview, like you said, you have kind of a list of how it goes from state to state, because we talked about it's not some linear um, law uh, that blankets over, you know, the entire U.S. or Canada even, um, but it, it's just state by state, province by province. Um, but I was curious, so before we get into that, just right before, because it kind of segues into it, um, like you said, you know, maybe working in a morgue, you're by yourself with the body, you know, a blanket slips down or whatever, you see an exposed breast, and you touch it, Do you, are, are there different, like, different, like, uh, levels of law when it comes to the act? So, like, would intercourse be yeah. prosecuted differently than if you never even touched the body, but you masturbated next to it, mm-hmm. or you, like, poked the breast, and then, you know, went home and thought about it later? I mean, I guess you can't really prosecute thoughts, but you know what I mean? Like, are there different levels to the laws, or is it yeah, kind of just, like... It depends where you are. So, in some states, or in some countries, you could stand right next to a corpse and masturbate looking at it, and you could do this 800 times, and there would be no law against what you've done. Wow. But, and then there's, there's some places where you could even probably touch the corpse and do that. And then in other cases, you would get in trouble. So it really depends on where you are and how the law is worded. So it might be an interesting time to get into these kind of three groups of necrophilia laws that Agrawal um, kind of identified. So if I could spell them out for you, I think uh, it would be a good example yes. of, of how this works. And I'll, I'll give you an example for each uh, of, of how each, uh, I'll give you one state in the United States to represent each of these groups of laws. So gr- the group one laws, they don't mention in the laws a corpse, they don't mention a dead body, they don't mention cemeteries or anything like that, and they also don't mention sexual activity. So they're very vague. Uh, Idaho is a good example of this. So the law in Idaho is that, um, I believe this is a direct quote, every person who is guilty of the infamous crime of nature committed with mankind or with any animal is punishable by imprisonment in the state prison for not less than five years. Now, the infamous crime of nature, or perhaps it's against nature, I mean, that's really vague, right? It's almost like biblical Mm -hmm. in in its wording. But because, because it's vague, it might not be bad because you can apply it rather widely. But it's also... In, you know, it's very subjective, right? Right. So it, it can be used to get people who might otherwise slip through the cracks, but it also could be misused against someone that, you know, uh, doesn't deserve to be prosecuted. So Might not be I, committing I, a nefarious act, but might have just had a similar, I mean, might, I mean, that's a wide umbrella to cast there. You know, there's a lot of different things that could fit under that, you know, nature, acts of nature. I mean. Yeah. What's natural because right. here's the funny thing is that we do see, um, in nature, actually, 
examples of where specifically in ducks, but it's been in a number of species where there are uh, post-mortem sex acts in the animal kingdom. So it's not actually against nature. That's why I say it's kind of like an old world way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And And I like that you said that biblical too, that almost, I I agree. That makes it sound almost like they were trying to uh, adhere to something like that and make it, make it seem as though, you know, Oh, well we, we, we want it to be as, classy or as you know i, I don't i don't want to use the wrong term here but classy. <laughs> yeah that's not that's not the right word but, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think a good way to look at it is that terrible definition of pornography that that judge gave where it's i know it if i see it right right yeah. I, think that's an, I think that's a terrible way to define pornography but what it does do is from a prosecution standpoint it gives you a lot freer reign. Exactly. So those are the group one laws, and um, Idaho is an example of a state that has that. Uh, before we, we move on, do you guys want to discuss that one anymore? Um, do you have any I, Idaho that? specifically? Yeah. No, no. I, but there are, there are other places that have uh, laws that are worded like that that can be applied to post-mortem sex acts, but um, Idaho is the example that uh, Agrawal gave, and uh, so that's that's one of them that I provided for you. I'm, okay. I'm sure there's more states, and there's definitely more countries. Yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah, we can, we can go on to the next one. Okay, so the group two laws are interesting because they mention corpses, dead bodies, cemeteries, you know, holy places where people are interred, that kind of thing, but they don't actually mention sexual activity in the language. Hmm. And uh, an example of this is uh, Ohio. That's where I went to school. Right. So the idea is here that uh, in a lot of these places that write the laws this way is that it's about doing something disrespectful or a disgraceful act that will outrage family members or the sensibilities of a community. So India is a country that has a a group to law of of necrophilia. And that specifically is, uh, quote, whoever with the intention of wounding the feelings of any person or of insulting the religion of, of any person or with the knowledge of that feeling of any person are likely to be wounded or that the religion of the person is likely to be insulted thereby, commits any trespass in any place of worship, so on, so on, and so on. So they never mention sex, but it's just kind of like, it's implicit that you should know that anything that you do to a dead body is going to offend these family or community sensibilities, and so of course that would include sex acts with it. So you don't need to mention the sex act. You just need to mention the dead body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Very interesting. I was going to even ask a follow-up question and say, if we are talking about something where murder is the obvious overt act, would it affect sentencing if, say, necrophilia, obviously as pedophilia does, but say necrophilia, is there... A, a, a more distinct sentence because of that? Is there a way to sentence? Is there a sentencing guideline that you're aware of as a result of that, Lee? Well, I guess you're talking about 
states that have like felony murder, right? Right, so exactly. If you did murder and there's another felony alongside it, it becomes like a, a capital offense a lot of the time. Correct. Is that my understanding? Exactly. Felony murder? Exactly, you're right. Okay, so I think that's an amazing question. And <laughs> the reason is, in some places, these um, post-mortem sex acts are considered a misdemeanor, so I don't know that that would count, right? right. I don't think it would. Including in the state we're in. We're, we're, we're in Pennsylvania where it's not considered a felony, it's a misdemeanor here, and therefore could not really be associated with a felony act. I mean, it's, but but it is this is a felony murder state also at the same time, where it could be murder one if committed at the same time as a felony. So that's that's curious. But I'm sorry, go on, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no worries. Actually, I've got a list here of all the places where it's um, the, the the states that classify laws specifically or tangentially related to necrophilia as misdemeanors. That's Alaska, Colorado, Delaware, Hawaii, Maine, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania. That's you guys, <laughs> South Dakota, and so the felony states are. Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, Nevada, New Jersey, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. And you said that's where it's a felony? That's where it's a felony, yeah. So why, I mean, I guess we're not lawmakers, but what... Like, you would think, so, like, for instance, Ohio, I mean, that's where Jeffrey Dahmer hailed. You know, you would think having a crime he was, so... He was in Wisconsin. He was arrested in Wisconsin. Oh, but he was from Ohio. He was from Ohio. Um, but, you know, I you think would think... Committed, I think he committed his first murder in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, oh, the, okay. jo- okay. the hippie yeah. guy. Um... But you would think, like you know, like you said, since it's something that we like people don't conceive of until it happened, um, you would think the states where they they had these horrible crimes committed would try to bump it to a felony instead of keeping it as a misdemeanor. Yeah, uh, you you think, but it just I guess it depends on how severe you you think it is, and. Mm-hmm. You know, then I guess we get into a whole philosophical conversation about, you know, what is a corpse, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that was something that I I anticipated coming up. Right. And, um, yeah, like whether so, it's property or whether it's a human being still. I was reading um, a debate on that, actually, when I was researching some of these cases. Um, there There is a large debate whether a body is considered someone's property. If so, whose property? Or if it's considered a human being still? Um, or what, you know, what a corpse would be considered in the eyes of the law and in, in practice. Um, and I think that's that also well, plays into the laws. Perhaps we can segue into that real quick, because uh, Group 3 Law will move right into a case that I think you probably were looking at. Yeah. So I'll give you the Group 3 Law, and that's where a, there's specific mention of a corpse, dead body, or cemetery, so... Yes, there is a specific mention in the law of that, and there is specific mention of sexual activity. And uh, the example Agrawal gives is Nevada, but it's also um, Wisconsin, too. 
Wisconsin's a really interesting state concerning necrophilia because it's had uh, some of the most high-profile cases of it. We've already talked about two of them, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of homicidal necrophilia, Ed Gein was from Plainsfield, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Dahmer committed the bulk of his murders in Milwaukee. So if there's a state that's uh, got to have decent necrophilia laws, it's, it's Wisconsin. Wisconsin. What the hell is in the water in Wisconsin? There's a lot of it out there. I don't know. Have you guys <laughs> ever been there? I have, yeah. I went up to Green Bay a few years ago, actually. I can tell you, there's a lot of water, and it's very flat. <laughs> I've never been there. But that's, that's no, interesting. Was weird about the people? Were they, were they cool? Were they, they were very, very nice, polite people. They were not weird at all, but I will say one thing. They were the biggest people I've ever seen. They were massive. Oh Everybody God. was like... Very they like their cheese, remember? Very well built. Everybody was loving drinking beer and eating cheese, and I was cool mm-hmm. with it. I mean, I, kind I of what in, I like to do. I was in Green Bay. We were in um, Sheboygan. We were in, <laughs> yeah, right, Sheboygan, and we stopped in one. I can't, I can't hear that without thinking of Home Alone. Thank you. I literally was gonna say, if you know the movie, it's from. Ah, I love it. John Candy was from Sheboygan. Exactly. Yeah, the polka band was from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Sheboygan. Um, yeah, Gus Polinski, Poker King of the Midwest. Yeah, they're, Poker they're, King of the Midwest. Of Sheboygan. Yeah. Yes, exactly. One of my favorite scenes in that movie is her sitting in the back of that truck rolling around and them playing polka music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. That part gets better the older you get, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely does. And that was my uh, that was my go to sick movie when I was a kid. We're we're off topic, but <laughs> but um. But yeah, I definitely, I, I, I agree with what you guys were saying about, you know, with Wisconsin having had several of these cases well, come to light. Yeah, it's interesting that they wouldn't have more. But I did, and I was thinking about it when you were reading off that list, Lee, I was thinking some of the states you mentioned where it is a felony are also, I was trying to think like, what are the similarities here? But some of them have the highest incarceration rates. In America, yeah, they're, they're they're just harder in general. Exactly, but Wisconsin was on, was on the felony list. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, that's good for them. They they realized they had two of the most high profile cases, and that's just two out of the many. Um, and Ed Gein, was, that was in 1954 that he was. What a he was arrested, creepy right? Yeah. Yeah, the fifties. Dahmer was in, I think, ninety one. Ninety one. So yeah. you think they have this all sorted out by the time of Dahmer? But let me tell you a little story here about Wisconsin, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's um, September the second, two thousand and six, and two twenty year old twin brothers, Alex and Nicholas Grunky or Grunk, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, and their friend Dustin Radke or Rad, not sure how it's pronounced are caught trying to dig up a grave in St. Charles Cemetery in Castleville, Wisconsin. It's the grave of 20-year-old Laura Tennyson, who has died about a week earlier in a car accident. So they're arrested, taken in for questioning, I imagine probably all separated. Uh, And Alexander Grunke says, under questioning, well, our plan was that we're going to dig up her grave because Nicholas, my brother, wanted to have sex with her. 
and they had even gone out and bought condoms to use at the Walmart before, before they'd gone to the cemetery. Uh, they had known about uh, about Laura Tennyson because they'd been going through the newspaper and they spotted her picture in the obituary column. And I guess uh, I guess Nicholas had got some kind of strange infatuation with her. And I don't know why the hell you would be like, okay, I'm going to go help dig a, a corpse for my friend so that <laughs> right. he can have sex with her. I, I just don't grasp that. But for some reason, three people all came to the conclusion that this was like a reasonable idea. Yeah, my brother ever comes up to me and says something like this, I'm beating his ass probably <laughs> rather than, you know, helping him yeah. out. I don't really, um, I don't want to know. But. So, so this goes to court and they're looking at it and at that time, um, there was nothing that specifically referenced necrophilia at that particular time, 2006. So, they were just charged with damaging cemetery property and uh, they got them on attempted third degree sexual assault. They charged them with that. What? And yeah, a part of that is, um, so it's whoever has sexual intercourse with a person without the consent of that person is guilty of a class G felony. And then there's a provision of that that says this section applies to whether a victim is dead or alive at the time of the sexual contact or sexual intercourse. So right there you think, okay, there's not a specific necrophilia law. It just kind of falls under this third-degree sexual assault. So right. there is a law in place, and it's a, it's a Class G felony. But when it goes to court, the judge, uh, Judge Curry, is not convinced of it. And he drops the sexual assault because in the law, to say it again, um, it says whoever has sexual intercourse with a person. And Judge Curry was like, but under law, uh, Laura Tennyson was not a person at that point in time. She was human remains. Right. That's what I was going to ask if, if, if it's only a person and that's very concrete language as opposed to the ambiguous language we talked about before. Yeah, and so he ruled that, uh, you know, he got them on the vandalism but he threw out the sexual assault charges. Now, this went to an appellate court on July the 9th, 2008 and that court reversed Judge Curry's decision uh, on a five to two vote, and uh, they were they were tried for the um, attempted third degree sexual assault. So ultimately, they did get that you know they did get that felony. But the the whole point is that it was still tricky, um, and that it now goes to this discussion that we were about uh, we were about to get into. I think of well, what is a Course. Is it a person? Right. And because that, I think that matters as to how seriously we take it. Like, if it is a misdemeanor or if it's a felony, or or maybe it shouldn't matter either way, but I think this is how we begin to discuss this, right? Definitely. It's so interesting to think about because I'm like thinking about it myself right now. It's like, okay, if it was my family member, I want them to be thought of as a as a person, not as a thing. But then if you really dig deeper and think about it, it's like, 
you know what I mean? It's after someone's gone. Yeah, because like I did when I was looking into um, Alex and Nick's case. It was talking about how um, if she had been living, then the attempted sexual assault charges could stand. Or if she died while she was, you know, while they were digging her up or whatever the case, um, then she they would have been able to keep those charges. So it's interesting because didn't it, did the Wisconsin law? Um, where it became a felony with the language of, like, corpse and everything else in it become law after this case? From what I just read, it seemed to me like uh, the the law here pretty much covered it because most of the judges, when they, when they appealed the case, uh, five of the seven judges on the appellant court went, no, this covers it. It's yeah. a felony. Okay, yeah, that makes it was sense. just this one judge raising um Doubt. I, I'm not sure it's an issue I'd raise. I'd probably just be like, Yeah, you're trying to have sex with a dead body. I'm not going to get overly philosophical here. But right. you know, um but he him getting that way about it, it does raise that interesting interesting point. So I think what you were saying is that like yes, had she been alive and then they murdered her and then had sex with the dead body she was at some point, she was a person and then she became dead, but at no point was she like human remains that became somebody's property mm-hmm. or entered the custody of the state, right? It's, it's, it's all to do with law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... So by turning someone from living to dead, it's like, I guess under the law, you don't immediately turn them into property. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. It enters, Oops, sorry, go on. I think it's only when it enters the custody of like the authorities or the government that it starts to be seen as property. Yeah, which is so interesting because it's just so weird to think about. Yeah, you know, a human being being property rather than being you know a, a person. Um, even though I guess it makes sense with in the definition of person, it would not considered deceased person um but I was looking so to get into the eye for an eye for this case I was looking at the sentencing and because it is a felony in um Wisconsin it was interesting to look at the sentencing on this case because um what did he get Nick got what does it say he was guilty about third degree sexual assault attempted theft and attempted damage to cemetery property and he was sentenced to two years in prison three years of extended supervision and placement on the sex offenders registry for at least five years. Do you agree with this? So we'll go through like these sentences real quick. Um, do you guys agree with that for Nick's part? Because Nick was the one who was the one aiming to have sex with the corpse from what they said, at least. I think if he's given really serious psychological and psychiatric assessments and treatment, and, yeah, being placed on the sex offender list, to be honest, I think that I think that from a neutral standpoint that that's a fair sentence. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was the victim's family, I, I might feel different about it. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm happy to look at it neutrally, so I think that's fair. I think the sex offender registry list is kind of interesting because, um, you know, obviously when you think of a sex offender, you think pedophile in- instantly or, you know, child molester or, you know, a 16-year-old having sex with a 12-year-old. You know what I mean? Um, those kind of cases. So it is kind of interesting that they were able to 
to put that on it as well because you know there was that discussion you know did they did they actually assault her no they didn't they didn't get to it they got caught before they could so i'm kind of curious that that was that that was add on because it's not he didn't even make it to the corpse um although that was his plan so it's kind of in in my mind it's kind of like they uh sentenced him based on thought even though he was committing an action in order to play out that that fantasy um it seems like they they took the sex offender part and kind of ran with it because of a thought rather than an action, which I felt was kind of interesting to think about. I agree with it, but it's... I would, I would say the actions had begun. So the uh-huh. process of getting toward the goal had observably begun. So right. they had shovels, then they were out there digging up the grave, right? Yeah. So I would put it in the same as, like, if you're grooming a child online with the um, intention of having sex with them, and you do like you go into like uh, to catch a predator scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Where you go to their residence. Now they catch you before you actually molest the child, mm-hmm. but you you are clearly headed in that direction. You're crossing the boundaries, mm-hmm. and like I, I would say, those things are comparable. And I I would want both people on the sex offender list i agree right. I, I agree i didn't think about it like that i didn't think about it like that but I, I like that you pointed that out the to catch a predator which i love that show by the way um i'm sad that it doesn't really yeah. exist anymore <laughs> um but i mean i guess it's good because i mean i guess it doesn't really limit the amount of people out there that are offending you know minors but um it was an interesting show to watch when they would shit their pants and realize they're going to jail for a while um or they're going to be put on yep. a sex offender list for the rest of their days um, but I did find that interesting, and I do like that you pointed that out because I wouldn't have thought about that comparison otherwise. Because in my mind, I was just like, "Well, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it." it it's kind of, especially with the sex offender list, which I don't want to get too far into that, just because it's kind of not relevant to these cases, really, um, minus this one. But it's interesting because it, there's such a gamut of things that can put you on that list. Like I said, people are on that list for being 18, dating a 14-year-old, which, you know, if you take those ages and move them up a couple years, it's perfectly normal. So it's it's kind of interesting to the, the gamut that the sexual, the sex offender list goes. Um, but I do, I do agree with this. And then it did say that um, the boy that was not related to them, Dustin Rad, I don't know how to say his last name, Dustin, uh, pleaded no contest to attempted third degree sexual assault and was sentenced to one year in prison and two and a half years probation. And he also had to register as a sex offender. And then, uh, the other brother, Alex, he was sentenced to 60 days on a charge of theft, 30 days on a criminal damage to a cemetery. Um, and I don't... I don't think he he had to go through evaluations and assessments, but and also had to register as a sex offender. So all three of them got put on the sex offender list. Um, do you think that's interesting? Because it seems like from the testimony and from their admission uh, that they were really just trying to help Nick get it on with the corpse whereas they it didn't seem like they really had any interest although I guess it really doesn't matter they were in the act of digging up a corpse but do you think that's interesting in this case that they were charged almost the exact same as the one who was actually um planning on you know having that intercourse well I think let's bring it back to what we compared it to so 
if there's someone who has no plans of molesting a child but wants to assist somebody else in the molestation of a child, which we see that happen all too frequently, um, do they go on the sex offender list? It's a good point. Yeah, they don't they? They do, right? Yeah. And there is something just incredibly weird about going, yeah, okay, man, I'll help you with that. Like, <laughs> right. There's something not right there. Now, I don't know. I would say there, it should have been a little bit more lenient on those two. But the, were they, sorry, were they on the list for the same amount of time? Um, Let me see here. So they... It didn't, the one, the research that I did didn't really specify how long they had to be on it for. It just said they had to register as a sex offender. Um, the only one that I could find that had a specific time frame on the sex offender list, which I'm imagining the others would, would either be lesser or the same, uh, was for five, at least five years. Um, and that was for Nicholas. So, yeah, and he was the um, one that was planning on and doing the assault, you know, to their, uh, to their testimony of it. So I think I would imagine the other two would have been either less or equal to that. I can't imagine, you know, them getting any more time than the, the person that was the one that was thinking about actually committing the, the intercourse act. Yeah. And so I think we can all agree that if they got more, that would be unjust. Yeah. Um, is it just to get the same? I'm not sure that it is. I think that maybe they should be on there. Like they're they're all. I would say they all should have done this. You know, the, the same prison time. Yeah, because they all did the same and, crime at that point. Right, but as far as like being on a sex offender list for five years, I mean that that will ruin your life. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Being on the sex offender list at all will ruin your life, but five years. Yeah. So I would say maybe I would give those. To, I mean, just arbitrarily, like, half the time. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know, 30 months? Yeah. I mean, that sounds fair to me. So, all in all, for the three of them, or maybe one by one, do you guys think the punishment fit the crime um, in this case? For all three of them? or You could do it either separately or the same. I mean, they all got sentenced fairly similar to each other. Yeah, I was going to say, I believe that I think they all should have been sentenced the same. I'll be honest with you. I think they all participated in the act. They all knew what was going to happen. You know, the end just, goal, yeah. Just because someone is willing to say, "Oh, I was the only one that was going to do it," who's to say that they didn't all decide, "Hey, if we all get pinched, you say you were going to do it." Not that we all were, so we don't all get fucked. Yeah. Not that that would have made a difference, yeah. but. What do you think? Or that they made. They brought condoms. Yeah. So actually, so here's the interesting thing uh, that I sort of mentioned. Uh, apparently, they were planning to transport the, the corpse back to the twins' home. That's so, so creepy. Wow. So that would be, they, wouldn't that be another charge in of itself? Because you're, you're moving, pro- I guess, if they consider a property, property. Yeah, I don't know if that already falls under taking it out of the grave. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. We're, we're getting pretty <laughs> in the, yeah. the laws here, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
I agree with as, as far as them being, uh, as far as them serving the same prison time, and I agree with them getting on the sex offender list. I just think that I don't know. There has to be a slight difference. Mm-hmm. So I would just say that give the other two half time on the sex offender list. But it's not like your um, it's not like your judgment, Matt, fills me with rage and a feeling that of injustice. Like you know, okay, that's still fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, all in all, I think we can all agree they should. There could have been little tweaks here and there, but pretty much they got a pretty decent sentence for the crime uh, or the crime, especially that they were about to commit. So yeah, yeah let's. I, I think the key really is here is to just scare the shit out of them, right? Yeah. Right. And make sure that they've got... Uh, Don't go digging through know, graves. Do in-depth in psychological assessments on them, you know, to really study them and go, is this was this just like a one-time really weird bad idea or is this there a pervasive pattern of this? So, you know, is this like an infatuation thing where, like, say... Nicholas would, was a, to use the term earlier, corpse molester who just singularly found this woman so attractive that he was going to make an exception, or was this going to be a lifelong pattern of of grave robbing and like you know necrophilic uh, corpse molestation, like a series, you know, mm-hmm. and could it escalate to uh, to violence? So I think you know if you throw bunch of 20 year olds in jail for for a year that should scare the shit yeah absolutely unless, unless there's something really wrong with them yeah and during that time you should be able to figure out if there's something really wrong with them right yeah and get them the specialized you know therapy or help that they would need to not be a, a reoccurring offender so that wraps up part one of our case of about or cases, I guess, about necrophilia with Lee. Um, tune in tomorrow, and we will cover part two. We have more great cases to cover, so keep an ear out. Good Woo. night. Hey, Alberto. Your Honor, we would object to bind over. There has not been established any elements here for the crime of attempted sexual assault. As stated by the detective in speaking with Mr. Radke, he said so the condoms were for purposes of having sex with the corpse. There is no statute and there is no felony charge, and so therefore the court cannot find this matter over on this charge of attempted sexual surgical assault. Uh, the district attorney frequently referred to her, she, Laura Tennyson. There is no her or she anymore. There's human remains in that grave. It, it's clearly human remains. There's no statute that uh, on the books now that prohibits sexual contact or sexual intercourse with human remains. Thank you. Attorney Mulaney.
The legislature, when they want to draft a statute, draft it precisely. And in this case, they used the word victim. Therefore, they imply that the person is a victim before you have to make the determination of whether or not they're dead or alive. And the word victim applies, as was stated by Attorney Edwards, to a natural person. Therefore, the court agrees with counsel for the defendants that there's no law in the state of Wisconsin for necrophilia, unlike our adjacent state, Iowa, and thus will not bind over on that charge. But the evidence here does show that there are two felonies that the evidence shows to a reasonable inference were probably committed, and one was an attempt to damage personal property belonging to the Tennyson family and also to the cemetery property. So for those reasons, I'll bind over on those two felonies. The arraignment will be October 9th at 11, let's make it October 9th at 1 o'clock. Thank you. Thank you.